The following is a paid commercial program, and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff, or management. Welcome to Business Sense Radio, a weekly program featuring interesting topics and fascinating guests brought to you by your host, Edward King. Each week, Business Sense Radio tackles issues and concerns of people across all spectrums. Now, with this week's program, here's Edward King. Yeah, thank you very much, Mark. We are very pleased to bring today's special guest. Her name is June. We're not sharing her last name uh, because she's a former member of the Chinese Communist Party, but she is now um, moved and immigrated into the United States. Now, June was originally, uh, well, aren't we all originally born somewhere? She was born and raised in Shanghai, China. So let me just go ahead and bring on the guest. June, welcome to our program and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Good morning, Edward. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, thank you, June. Now, um, why don't you just, let's just start back at the beginning. Why don't you give us some background on your upbringing there in Shanghai, China? Okay. Um, like many people from China, I am the only child. Um, I was a spoiled princess, if you will. Mm. Um I grew up in the largest city, Shanghai, and um, as, as a matter of fact, I lived in a, a, a little room in a mansion in the Japanese co- colonial kind of the district area, if you will, in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. And it was quite interesting because um, both my grandparents, um, you know, my mom's side and my dad's side, uh, they were the target during the Chinese Cultural Revolution. So although they were pretty well-to-do and in, in a way they were kind of prominent figures in their communities, but because of, um, you know, the, since the Chinese Communist Party took over, they lost all their belongings and assets. And so we were given this little room, and like I said, in this, um, you know, three-story kind of dimension in the heart of the uh, Shanghai. Um, and I, I lived there for many years till I finally decided um, I want to come to America. Mm. So why were the parents taken from, you know, their life upheaval? I mean, what, who were they? Were they professors or what were they, business owners? What? So my grandparents, side, my um, mom's dad was a, capitalist, a so-called capitalist, they call him, because he owned a plant and he um, had, you know, workers work for him. And um, my grandpa on my dad's side, he was a prominent um, doctor. And unfortunately, he joined both parties, the Chinese Communist Party and the Kuomintang, the party that fled to Taiwan Mm -hmm. um, during his college years. And later on, he became the head of a military hospital over there so because of those reasons um when my parents grew up and then it was already under the control of the chinese communist party they were deprived of their rights to uh, further their uh, education um, my dad didn't get a chance to go to college although he was uh, sort of a rock star in his uh, high school mm-hmm. and my mom um, couldn't do that either 
So it's kind of interesting that they were called intellects, if you will. Um, They um, eventually got their college degrees through their, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of the kind of the type that you went while you were still at work but uh mm-hmm. it my, my my parents both my parents side were always like you know unlike uh if you grew up from uh you know a a a, a working class if you will they because they, they they categorize you into different classes or i would say it's really nonsense now that i look back but back then you know you're um you know the, from the families of the enemies of the state and then so you were uh, deprived of many um rights so it and it all because it connected back to the grandfathers on both sides correct yes and how many generations along the way does that impact if you we go back to your grandparents that immediately obviously impa- impacted your grandparents. It also impacted both sets of uh, kids, which were your parents. Mm-hmm. Would that it also transfer down to you? No, it. You know, it's interesting. It, it didn't. Um, I was actually. Um, I, I was raised in this brainwashed environment, if you will, and then okay. um, I was like a clean sheet of paper when I went to elementary school, and then mm-hmm. I got the red scarf and then, you know, which is the young pioneer, the first preliminary stage of the Chinese communist party. And then I joined the youth league um, when I was in um, junior high school. And eventually I um, joined the communist party when I was in college. So, mm-hmm. you know, given kind of my, my, um, you know, how you call it the advancement, if you will, in a party that didn't really taint me, my, my parents background. Mm-hmm. And that's because you literally were part of the new Communist Party all the way from elementary school. And you just worked, lived your way, stepped up, stepped up as you grew in your ages and your education. And did you go to college yep. there in China? Yes, I went to one of the elite colleges over there. Mm-hmm. And I guess because I... <clears throat> I they view me as, I, I don't know why they view me as their target. Um, every school back then, you know, you have the principal, um, kind of the headmaster, if you will, of mm-hmm. um, every college or university. And they, they their job, one of their jobs was to identify the targets for um, the party. And so uh, uh, they target me um, during my first year there. And then... Um, Eventually, before I graduated, I decided to, uh, um, you know, join the party. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm assuming, based on what I've heard so far, that you weren't pressured into joining the Communist Party. You were very happy to join the Communist Party. It was part of your future. Is that correct? Correct. I wasn't pressured a lot, although sometimes I felt like, gosh, I, I wish they could uh, leave me alone. But uh I deep down, I truly believed in the propaganda because mm-hmm. um, I grew up. Uh, I forgot to mention that every student in China um, has to take this course called politics, and uh, it uh, starts, I believe, um, the first year in junior high, and then all the way till you your college graduation, and even when you enter the workforce, you are still forced to learn, come together to learn 
the latest lectures from the leaders, party leaders once a while. And so that course teaches you Marxism, um, its own version of the Chinese history and the world history. It also praises all the iconic leaders of the communist parties. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in that and I recited over and over. I guess I had pretty darn good memory. So I recited all that. And then that was the key to a set test to know the politics. And um, pretty soon it just ingrained in you, the narrative, yeah. and then you believe in that. And then so I, I wasn't pressured to join a party. As a matter of fact, um, every time my parents try to bring up those tragedies, you know, they experienced or their parents experienced um, in the past, I would always interrupt them and I said, look, mom and dad, I know that um, that's the past. Look at a party now. Look at a government now. They have mm-hmm. changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in essence, what you're saying, though, is you had to earn your way into being a member of, this, of the Communist Party. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Interesting. Now, how old were you when you were finally a, a member? And is there steps in membership like you know you're you're just testing to be a member and then you're a member and then you're a better member or whatever levels <laughs> that they have there there were no uh there were no different uh tiers once you joined the party um although if you want to become a leader in the party that's a different story um but i was in my early 20s probably 21 when i joined finally Mm-hmm. Um, and it was super easy for me. I, I just need to fill out a form or write a whatever a essay, and I forgot probably a copy from someone else. Um, they just made it so easy for me because they wanted me to join. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, they have quotas to fill. Um, they targeted mm-hmm. me, and I wanted to use it to my advantage. I felt like it could probably help me to find a better job. Yeah, and it would, yeah. I would assume. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And in today's world, uh, what they're doing over the last couple of years with their social credit scores, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would think that for the freedom of movement and the freedom of opportunities, being a member of the Chinese Communist Party really makes a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, so... That's back to being 21. What occurred in your early 20s um, prior to immigrating or even having an opportunity to experience America? What was that time frame like? You know, that was interesting because, um, like I said, I'm the only child. My co- The college that I went to um, wasn't far from where I lived. I didn't even have the chance to to have the dorm experience, if you will. I, I actually kind of like commuted between a college mm-hmm. and my family and my house. And then I had a curfew because um, my parents, like, although I was a spoiled princess, but they had kind of strict rule. So I, I, I was raised in the, the very traditional um, environment. And deep down, I was tired of it. I wanted to have a way to break from it. And, and going to America seems to be a pretty darn, you know, um, attractive kind of dissolution for me. I remember I read a book, Natido was going to America. And I agree with everything that the, that book said about, you know, seeking for freedom, um, you know, claiming your um, independence. And um, I just happened that to, to be working for a 
American company. They had an office in Shanghai, so I worked there. And so I was given the opportunity really to come to um, America for like a short period of time, a week. Mm-hmm. And, and I really loved what I saw here. My which first stop. Of, yeah. Which part of America did you go to? Yeah, I was going to say my first stop was San Francisco. And then so um, I, that was summer time and then it was mm-hmm. summer was kind of the rainy season in shanghai very hot and humid mm-hmm. and i remember you know after 14 hours of flight and then i came down the plane and i saw this beautiful san francisco i know that mark twain used to say that san francisco the coldest winter he mm-hmm. ever had was the summer in san francisco yeah. uh, but that day i was so lucky uh san francisco showed to me the best part of its beauty it was just a blue sky green waters um in the glittering you know um streets and everything it was in a clean air not to mention that you know i came from this highly polluted uh, metropolitan city over there i just fell in love with san francisco instantly Hmm. and my coworkers back then they were kind of funny they were like Hey, you know, if you really like it here, we can find you a boyfriend. You can marry that guy and then you can stay here forever. I'm like, you know what? That's not me. <laughs> and then they took it seriously. They really introduced me to a few guys here. And then it didn't work out. Um, but before I went back, I told myself and I, I said, I want to come here legally. And I want to come here to advance my education. Mm-hmm. So the best way would be for me to pursue my master's degree. So I went back home. It took me a year to get ready to resign from my job and um, took all my savings and even borrow money from my my parents and my relatives. And I came here Mm. the next year. Now, still before you moved, and even when you were starting and going to work for an American company, I've I've had other individuals who I've known that have lived in China. And they spoke of having what we would term handlers. And what I mean by that was other members of the party or maybe security forces or whatever who stay connected or keep in touch or watch over um, Chinese nationals that would like go to work for an American company. Did you experience something like that? You know, maybe I, I did not. Um, maybe because I only worked there for less than two years. Mm-hmm. Um, that back then, that was still. I would say that kind of the structure was still loosely orchestrated, if you will. I, I didn't really feel the pressure, like making me a spy, asking. Although, um, because I, w- I was a party member, uh, once while they would uh, ask me to write a, you know, whatever report on mm-hmm. how I. Uh, my per- my development in this party thing, like, you know, how I, um, because you have to constantly catch up with what is the latest and greatest, the slogan, the propaganda over there. Mm-hmm. So I was forced to write my, kind of the essay, like a report on, you know, my personal development in the party. Yeah. And I really hated it. I was like, geez, I already graduated from college and then you try to make me to write this honestly, because, uh, you know, I, I, although I believe in all the narrative and stuff, I have no interest in further developing my career in the party. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very painful. And then it made me to pay for the fee, you know, like you know, mm. you're, you're the party member, you have to pay, you have to, do we have to deduct some uh, percentage from your sure. uh, salary? And I hated that too. Well, 
So between the time period of you becoming a party member and then you making the move and shift to America, how many years of that did you live through? It was um, it was about two and a half years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Short period of time. Yeah. Now, I know that you visited San Francisco, spent a week. People tried mm-hmm. to get you married off to Americans, and you wisely chose not to. <laughs> and then you went back, took a little over a year for you to make the transition. Did you have any pushback or problems from the party um, to make the move? Was, was there, in those days, the resistance of um, you moving? Well, you know, it's interesting. I didn't. I didn't tell anyone. Um, other than that, my my interaction with them was then this period, periodic report I mentioned that I had to submit, mm-hmm. uh, and then paying the fee. And they they try to come to me. They try to, uh, you know, create uh, create a closer relationship. I just blew them off. I and mean, then just like I, I'm so busy. Um, and then um, they didn't know I left. They mm. they knew afterwards from my parents. Oh, yeah, wow. they 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 did complain a little bit about not not paying res- showing respect to them, not letting them know ahead of time. Of course. Yeah. Now, while you were there, you haven't really mentioned much in terms of what it was like to live in that society, because my perception would be when you were living there, it was normal. You see what I'm saying? Saying, I mean, this was the life that you were raised in, and other than your periodical reports, you know, it was just your normal lifestyle for for everybody around you as well. When you came to America, what were some of the things that might have opened your eyes or helped you change your opinions about the environment that you were raised in? The Chinese mm-hmm. government, the structure, the of the authoritarian. Uh, government. Well, walk us through yeah. that. Yeah, you are totally right about it. it. Was such a norm for me. I didn't raise any question about anything um, over there. In fact, when I first came, I had a few eye-opening uh, moments. And you know, after I first came, um, was that uh, I had a college uh, professor. Um, she was from Montana, and so she kind of helped to switch my accent from British English to American English because um, everyone in, you know, every student in China has to learn English, but it's always the Oxford type. Mm. And I, I used to, <laughs> people used to say that, man, I, I listen to you as if like you were from those uh, tape recording with the Oxford um, um, proper, very proper English. Yeah. But she helped to um, change my accent to American accent. So when I first came, I told myself that I want to assimilate to American culture. I wanted to talk and I wanted to act like an American. And I found it was pretty relatively easy for me to do, but I couldn't really train my brain to process like American. And that was very frustrating to me. And now that I look back and I felt like, ah, I got it because I had been brainwashed by the Beijing propaganda for so long that I didn't even know how to think independently without mm-hmm. the guidance of the government's propaganda, without the guidance of the narrative. And, then, you know, some of the phrases that I uh, said I recited from my politics course, including Dalai Lama is a separatist and a terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, the Com- Communist Party 
is the savior of China. And then all the people living in the Western world are suffering. And I know the last piece, I mean, like I came here, I'm, you know, I wanted to live here. I love, I love San Francisco. I know, but not about Dalai Lama, not about Communist Party is the savior of China. Yeah. Till one time, um, I have this friend from Taiwan and she and I were both in the master um, you know, classes. Um, we became really good friends. And one day I tried to quote, quote, save her. And I decided to pick on the debate about Taiwan's independence or sovereignty, mm-hmm. if you will. And I literally used all the phrases I learned from my years and years of political education on her. I said, Taiwan is part of China, always has been. And then, you know, it is your people's will to come back to, um, to be part of China again. And she, I just literally watched her, her face turn green. She got really close to me and, and I thought she was going to punch me. And then she she stormed away. And I look at her, I'm like, geez, you're such a snowflake. I'm just trying to tell you the truth and you just cannot handle it. Deep down, back then, I was, I felt so innocent. I felt like, geez, I was just trying to do you a favor to tell you the truth. And why were you so angry at me? Um, so that, her reaction was eye-opening to me. And I started questioning um, you know, was was he mis- was she misled or was I? I? I didn't really doubt that. You know, whatever my government told me was true. I was just like, you know, what is it? What is it that caused her to have such such kind of reaction? Um, and um, and then so that kind of continued for many years. Um, I, I felt like I had the same mindset, although I live in this free country. I had the same mindset as if I lived in China. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that I wasn't alone. I wasn't such a, you know, the unique creature. I, I would say that millions of people from China coming to United States or to, you know, um, those Western countries, um, they, they only come here to pursue the so-called the American dream on the on the surface level. Um, uh, you know, we would be content to have a good job, uh, a car, a house, uh, you know, sending our kids to good schools and that's it. Mm-hmm. But I would say that deep down, and our hearts and our minds were still tightly controlled by that ideology, by that from the red regime. Well, I mean, obviously, when you are indoctrinating children from second, third year, fourth year of their life, all the way through till college, I mean, you're hardwired to think that way. And you're also, I would assume, been given a very limited context of how the world is actually operates. I mean, did they withhold from you, obviously, about Tibet, they withhold from you the Taiwan, they withhold from Mm -hmm. you the life of America, Europe, and so on and so forth. I mean, Mm -hmm. how can you think anything differently? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so to go back to your, I think I missed the, the, the part is that how did I turn around? Yeah. Um, that was a tipping point in my life, I would say. That was in January 2008. I came across a performing arts uh, group. And then you living in Bay Area, California, you, you have all seen it from billboards or newspaper. It spells um, S-H-E-N-Y-U-N. It, it um, pronounces it Shenwen. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything about that. I thought it was just one of those shows that I have seen. Um, I was very arrogant by then because I mar- I got married. Um, my husband and I love uh, to travel around the world. So I had experience to, uh, I had like, you know, we, we, we watched symphony in Vienna. Uh, we watched um, operas in Rome, um, um, Verona. 
And then um, we've been to New York many times just to, you know, to, to watch those Broadway um, musicals. So I felt I sing it all. And this could be just one of those shows. So yeah. when I went to um, the theater, I even, I wasn't even dressed very nicely. I had this pair of sunglasses clipped to my blouse and it just went, um, and then boy, I was wrong. I sat there, uh, tears started streaming down my face from the very beginning. I didn't know why. And, uh, there were so many moments during that show. I look around, I really, I saw so many strange faces and you know, many of those, uh, were white people or, you know, different colors. I really wanted to tap them and say, do you know, I am Chinese. I am part of, you know, um, f- from the, that that group over there, the cultural origin, you know, we, we share the same, um, you know, the culture. Um, I have to say that before that, I it wasn't too flattering if people, I guess, that I was from mainland China. I didn't, I didn't, I guess, no one guessed right. They always ask, where are you from? Are you from Hong Kong, Japan, or Korea, uh, South Korea? I would take it as a compliment. I didn't want people to think that I came from mainland China. Um, because um, the, the manners from those people from mainland China really embarrassed me. And because I already started working for a high-tech company. And then the plagiarism, it was so bad. I just, I, I'm like, I am not part of them. Don't see me as a spy, you know, a spy in this company and trying to steal your technology. I'm not. So for those reasons, I never openly embrace uh, the fact that I am Chinese and I, um, and I didn't know that traditional Chinese authentic, um, you know, culture could be so inspiring and so, I would say, divine. I didn't know that. So when I sat there to watch the show, A, it was so beautiful. It was breathtakingly beautiful. And B, it was so inspiring because it reconnected me to the cultural roots that I had long forgotten. I was very used to the party culture, everything that had the the propaganda, you know, they took out this spirituality part of the Chinese culture and they, they fed you uh, their version, like I said, their version of the Chinese culture, history, everything. So yeah. I was very used to that. When I saw those dances beautifully portrayed on the stage and, oh my gosh, I got it. I That year, 2008, I, especially this dance about Mulan, you know, we know Mulan. I know Westerners know Mulan through the Disney um, movie. I knew Mulan when I was in um, China, when I was in elementary school. I had to recite that poem in, in order to pass the Chinese test. I knew it. I hated it. Uh, it mm-hmm. didn't really, uh, it, it didn't really resonate. But that day when I sat there, I watched the Mulan dance on the stage. I started bawling. I felt like I get it. This is about uh, loyalty. It's about filial piety. It's about so many great things in life, you know, all embodied in Mulan, this story. And then I'm like, oh my gosh. So I started crying. And the other thing that I was really shocked that I sat there uh, to watch the show was that in addition to this feast of you know, 5,000 years of the Chinese civilization on stage, I would say it's a feast to my eyes, to my ears. But it's also, it had uh, the, the, the show had a few dance snippets featuring what I call a mod, uh, some tales about modern day heroes in face of uh, persecutions. 
in 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 the, in the current um, China, and I didn't know any of that. Um, that day when I walk out, I found the the pair of sunglasses that clipped to my blouse had all the tear stains, my tear stains, mm-hmm. and for the first time. I felt like I would. I had this burning question to find out who was telling me the truth, whether that was the government that I believed uh, faithfully for so many years, right. or whether it was this courageous uh, performing arts group. And I hate to believe that they were the liars because they were just so beautiful and inspiring. Mm-hmm. So I have to say that for the first time, I was intrigued to start my own research on communism. Because I wanted to find out um, the truth. Well, and right there, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. And you are listening to Business Sense Radio. And... And we will be right back. You want your property to be protected from break-ins, vandalism, and loitering. Yet guards and patrol services are expensive. ATG Protect by Alvarez Technology Group is the perfect affordable solution. ATG Protect is a video surveillance solution with cameras powered by artificial intelligence and backed by live guards who can intervene and scare off unwanted intruders and even call first responders when needed. ATG Protect gives you peace of mind and keeps you safe, secure, and successful. Contact Alvarez Technology Group at 831-753. 7677 or on the web at alvareztg.com. Business owners, do you want to build a successful business? Invest in your most valuable asset, your staff. Alliance Career Training Solutions solve your staff training needs. Employees need to be successful for you to be successful. At Alliance Career Training, we provide professional, hands-on training classes, including Excel, Word, business writing, Outlook, and sexual harassment as required by law. Ask about our custom classes for your team. Call 755-8200 or visit us at AllianceTrains.com. All right, we're back. And today we have a very special guest. Her name is June. And she is now living in the, in America, but was born and raised in communist China. And at one time, she was a member of the Chinese Communist Party. And she just shared with us one of the fulcrum points of when her eyes were, you know, and her spirit was woken up in terms of what is it that I should believe in should I believe in the education and indoctrination that I received as a, a child growing up in Shanghai, China, or is there a different story? Now, while you were living in China, and I guess we're going back to what, 2006, 2008 in terms of time period, is that correct? No, I actually, uh, I was uh, earlier than that. I came... In the late 90s. Okay. All right. So time period there. Mm -hmm. Now, China has changed dramatically since when you were there. Uh, Same thing for the border country, North Korea, which also is, um, you know, kind of a, a puppet of the Chinese Central Committee. What were the things that were being told to you about America when you were living in China, or did they just not mention it at all? Oh, they mentioned a lot. It's kind of interesting. It's always about America as evil. Mm. America is the symbol of this capitalism and um, the cause of all those sufferings, you know, for the people living in the Western world. Um, that was how I was taught. And but back then, I mean, 
because I grew up in after Deng Xiaoping's open door policy, you already start seeing the economy booming because of those foreign investment. Yeah. And then, so that part, I mean, like every time I recited it, I just chuckle like, ha, yes, here we go. America's mm-hmm. evil. But, you know, everyone wanted to go to America. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, um, it was it was so hard for uh, people like me to come to America, even to uh, advance our education. Um, you had a waiting line. Um, you know, there was a uh, council in Shanghai. You had you had to make appointment. You had waiting line, and ninety um, percent of the chances you get uh, rejected mm. because back then they said you have sort of a. They made you. They 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 believe that you would most likely stay after you finish your education in America. Sure. So, in other words, the immigration tendency. And they didn't like that. So they would shoot you down uh, nine out of 10. Mm-hmm. But still. So how did you get through it? Yeah, well, I was lucky. But like I said, I, I, I worked for this American company and they, they kind of helped me out a little bit. Um, I, I was, you know, uh, given a different visa and then I came here, try to switch it uh, legally. Mm-hmm. But, but I paid a high price for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> now we're going to have to move forward into today's world. And, you know, there's much to be said about, you know, where, how China is positioning itself on the world stage. And I know that that's really not part of our, you know, in-depth conversation here because I'm, I'm mostly concerned or interested in how you would reflect back on the world that you live in now. So America a, a more free country, I wouldn't call it completely free at the point, versus China. What is it about America that helped you make that transition away from that mindset that you just believed everything that you were taught during your uh, being your upbringing? What, what kind of things that, that America transitioned your brain set? Mm-hmm. I think America is, despite all the problems that we see today, America is still the greatest country in the world. And I want your audience to remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, because coming from a different country, having a different perspective, really make me to appreciate what I have. And I want to cherish it. I think freedom is the number one thing that we, we all feel entitled. But that really differentiates a country like America and a country like China. And once you really enjoy freedom, you taste freedom, there is no way back. And I, like I said, my uh, transition started because I was given the freedom to explore. I was given the freedom to watch the show, which is banding China. I was given the freedom to start my own research on communism, which mm-hmm. I did. And, um, you know, I have to say it was a very painful process. It was like peeling onion. Because every time you peel a layer, you cry. I cry because I felt betrayed, because mm. I felt devastated. Um, but in the end, I was able to reach really the true nature of communism. And it is really simple. It's brutality and deceit. And once you understand that, you understand the tactics they use for deceit. And you look back and then you feel like, oh my gosh, all those years you've been cheated. I've been cheated. I didn't know the Tiananmen Square, um, the massacre. In 1989, I didn't didn't know anything about that because they changed the tone. They portray students as the, as the violent killers. They portray the government as a victim and the soldiers as heroes. 
mm-hmm. and that's that was what I heard. They uh, they had a few pictures of those severely burned bodies, and they uh, broadcast twenty four seven in all the nationwide you know televisions, and then they repeated that narrative again and again, and made you believe that uh, that was their that was the truth. So uh, after I started doing research on communism. And then after I saw that tank man picture on the internet, that man standing courageously in front of a line of tanks, I started crying so hard because 33 years ago, while you and the rest of the world knew what was going on, myself and billions of Chinese were deceived. Mm-hmm. And so... So and let me... What, I yeah. keep going, but let me interrupt. So, in essence, what you're saying is in communist China, they completely control the media. So, so whatever their message is, is the only message that you get to hear. Do you see any correlation between what you're seeing in America now, similar to what you grew up in? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that, that was the reason um, I decided to step up. I decided to start sharing my story. I completely see that um, what they are teaching our kids today at school, um, what how they dominate our media and control the narratives here, is a hundred percent following the footprints of uh, communist China, hmm. and that concerns me. That concerns me of that you know I think the whole country is is marching towards a cliff, and um, unfortunately many naive many. Um, Many good-natured Americans, uh, uh, I, how to put it, like just believing that because they they couldn't imagine that could they couldn't imagine that these kind of tactics are being played on them. But mm-hmm. it's true. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, please. No, that that was that was the reason America. I love Americanism. Like I said, I think freedom, liberty is part of that. I love the American way of life. And I think for many of us uh, immigrants who came from communist countries, we see through um, the schemes, we see through the tactics that are being played out. And we worry. um, And and we want to do whatever it takes. At least we want to step up and Mm -hmm. help to save this great country. Well, you get to share your story. And if you were in if the reverse was true, if you were in China or if I was in China and I was standing up and and trying to reveal the dirty underbelly of the government, you know, I would be shot down in China. I'm starting to see a very similar pattern here in the United States where people who are coming out with the truth are being called a domestic terrorist if you're a parent going before the school board, or you're a, you know, a conspiratist if you're saying something in a political environment. Um, and because of the control of the central party, what we're seeing is state by state. Certainly, you can see it living here in California, it's a one-party rule, which is exactly what's going on in China. One party has been ruling China since when was that that Mao took over the fifties? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what else are you seeing that is uh, should be setting off the red flags, banging the bell? What other things are you seeing in America that are going on that are similar to what the you saw living in China? Yeah, I would say you know 
I, I would say after 60 years of deliberate infiltration and internal subversion, I said that we have found ourselves in a place that, you know, it's completely different. Um, what I see is that I remember the novel 1984. Mm -hmm. uh, Newspeak is an artificial language created to reinforce the party's control over the people. Now, I, I think in many ways, that vision um, have become reality. Freedom has been twisted to mean a state unrestrained by morality, law, or tradition. Mm -hmm. Principles such as all men are created equal and all men are equal before the law have now become absolute egalitarianism. And tolerance has been deviated to mean that we can accept all kinds of thoughts and conducts. Um, you know, I like think of rational thinking. Mm -hmm. It now has become a tool of empirical science, right? It's, it's very narrow-minded. And then we oftentimes hear social justice. I think that's in the pursuit of the equality of outcome. And we have twisted the meaning of justice to become social justice. Right. So I would say, in a nutshell, we have to face it. America is in the grip of a cultural revolution, just like that one that took place many years ago in China. During that time, um, many um, the party actually uh, people were turned on to people were asked to turn on each other during the cultural revolution. Um, you know, you have kids report on their parents, you had students report on their teachers, and then you had um, family members to show the, their loyalty to the parties, openly uh, denounce their uh, relationship with their um, family members, their loved ones, um, and in in some extreme cases, just to, you know, um, were were one of their for were one of the um, main reason that they actually went to um, kill them because they wanted to show that they were uh, brave and then they 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 were loyal to the parties. And I see that happening here in the United States. I see that uh, you know in our schools, um, what is what is being taught to our kids. Um, I see that decades in the making, this this revolution was born in our colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. and right. Yeah, it's infected a couple of generations, unfortunately, at this point. Yeah. Now, if we were talking about America and where America is going, but let, let's mention just one other thing. Now, China seems to be, have a belief that they should be the dominant government dominant country throughout the United States, uh, throughout the world. And one of the things that they've been doing recently, and I know we didn't prep on this before, is that the CCP is establishing what they consider to be police stations. And it's in US, Canada, Europe, many other countries. And their goal is to bring back fugitives. And it's all part of Xi Jinping's anti-corruption campaign, which has been running under different operations names, Fox Hunt, Skynet, and so forth. And what they've been doing is they've been bringing hundreds of thousands of Chinese nationals are being forced or coerced into returning back to China. Uh, they're literally going as deep as capturing them, trapping them, kidnapping them, abusing the international rule of law and operating through Interpol. How have you seen this to be true, or is this just something I'm reading about in the internet? No, this is true. I think it's uh, it's definitely a, a 
China, uh, you know, it's long arm. The CCP's long arm is overreaching. You know, let's be be clear. They couldn't do this by themselves. They they our governments right turn a blind eye on that. Um, allow them to to do that, and then I, I think through many many years of infiltration. Um, the CCP has already established very strong um, relationships um, in, 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 you know, promised with, with many people in almost every aspect of our life, right? From people from every institute, um, mm-hmm. you, can, you can sense that, that, you know, they have strong um, ties with the CCP. And then I think it's because of this reason that allowed, has allowed CCP to be able to treat um, those fugitives, if you will, in other countries as if um, they're still living in mainland China. They can still execute um, their own rules, their own laws, and then um, without any, um, you know, the, the, the respect to, you know, the, that local um, country or that um, area. Yeah, they, they act with, you know, they're unencumbered from doing whatever the Chinese want to do, regardless of the country that they're wandering through. Mm. Um, so it leads me to believe that China thinks it can do no wrong and, and that their will is the will that should should operate. Do you believe yeah. that, you know, they wrote a book, there was a book that was written not too long ago, and it talks strongly about China's and the unrestricted warfare. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're at war with America? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that book. It was during the, another uh, Taiwan Strait crisis in the mid-90s. That book, uh, I just want to share with you a little bit of the background because I know that. It was during the mid-90s that China wanted to orchestrate a uh, crisis to really to intimidate Li Tenghui. He mm-hmm. was the first president to be born in Taiwan. And because he wanted to, um, he was an advocate of Taiwan's independence. So the CCP was annoyed. And then so they um, they fired string missiles just 20 miles north of Taiwan's two largest ports. And um, back during that time, there were two Chinese colonels. They they were really surprised that they didn't see Li Tenghui, uh, you know, even, you know, panic um, during such military kind of operations. But Li did panic when the local stock market crashed. Mm-hmm. So Li's response made them wonder what would happen if the military, you know, stock market tax were to be combined with military operations. Wouldn't that boost the effectiveness of a war? Yeah. So they actually wrote this book, Unrestricted Warfare. And then the number one rule of this unrestricted warfare is that there is no rules at all. Nothing is impossible. And then they argue that, you know, the, the in the modern world, the warfare should no longer be primarily defined by military operations. Um, the new battleground can be virtually anywhere. So in, including, you know, cybersecurity, yeah. uh, trade, uh, 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 culture biological, uh, mm-hmm. disinformation, you name it. Mm-hmm. So this is exactly kind of the policies that the Chinese, the CCP is following. Um, you know, this unrestricted warfare, uh, these two officers, after 9-11, these two officers have been hailed as national heroes. In the book, they actually predicted the, uh, the burning of Twin Towers. They predicted three years before it actually happened. 
that that book mentions Osama bin Laden's name so many times. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the, the CCP is exactly following the principles in that unrestricted warfare um, to, to execute its infiltration in America and in many Western countries. Yeah, and, and, that, and that book is available to anybody who wants to read it. I, I've attempted to read it myself, but it is um, quite deep, and um, you know, it's translated from Chinese into English. So yes, it, it, it's a challenge to read it best. What we're going to do is we're going to take one more break for our sponsors, and you're all listening to Business Sense Radio, and we'll be right back. You want your property to be protected from break-ins, vandalism, and loitering. Yet guards and patrol services are expensive. ATG Protect by Alvarez Technology Group is the perfect affordable solution. ATG Protect is a video surveillance solution with cameras powered by artificial intelligence and backed by live guards who can intervene and scare off unwanted intruders and even call first responders when needed. ATG Protect gives you peace of mind and keeps you safe, secure, and successful. Contact Alvarez Technology Group at 831-753-7677 or on the web at alvareztg.com. Business owners, do you want to build a successful business? Invest in your most valuable asset, your staff. Alliance Career Training Solutions solve your staff training needs. Employees need to be successful for you to be successful. At Alliance Career Training, we provide professional, hands-on training classes, including Excel, Word, business writing, Outlook, and sexual harassment as required by law. Ask about our custom classes for your team. Call 755-8200 or visit us at AllianceTrains.com. All right, we're back. We're back with an amazing guest today. We've got June. We're not sharing her last name. She is a former member of the Chinese Communist Party who has transitioned to America some time ago. And she has been on the warpath, basically, to warn Americans individually, as well as anybody she can talk to about her concerns of America being undermined, our freedoms being whittled away, and how we are being directly lied to. And those are very strong statements, but I I think if any one of us just open our eyes and recognize what's going on in social media, Hollywood, even the NBA is being you know, shifted over to supporting China at the expense of America. But, you know, there are companies that are become complicit with China. What what type of companies do you see here in America or major international companies that seem to be doing the will of China at their own detriment? I would uh, call out those high-tech companies first, the mm-hmm. social media companies. I think a lot of the problems that we see today was, you know, we're talking about censorship, uh, stamped from that control and stemmed from those algorithms that they borrow from China, from the CCP. Mm-hmm. Um, they have those people, they exactly follow the Chinese way of doing things. They, they have those people watch everyone's posts. They have this, these huge databases of those sensitive words and, and um, as soon as you mention those words, and then you're deemed as, um, you know, um, not fit for that uh, social media platform. They're yeah. going to shut down your accounts and all that stuff. <laughs> That's exactly the practices that the CCP has been doing um, as p- people for so many years. Yeah. So, you know, the likes of Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook, now called Meta, 
TikTok, which is actually owned by the Chinese mm-hmm. government. You know, they also have put their thumbs into censoring movies in Hollywood, even to the point of blacklisting some actors and actresses who have said mm-hmm. things that the Chinese government don't like. And they're also doing whatever they can to hack and gather data on the world. And they're trying to take control of AI along with, you know, using our own media against us, manipulating information, influencing our mindset, and influencing our elections, obviously in support of the party and the individuals that they want to get elected. I mean, when I look at this most recent election, I mean, we literally, the the people of Pennsylvania voted for a person who's mentally completely unfit, uh, you know, unfortunately due to a stroke that's permanently damaged his brain. You know, sometimes when I sit where I sit and do the reading that I do, I think much of America is doing the things that are harming itself. And it's the reason why I wanted you to be joining us today, June, and I thank you for your input. What would be the last statement that you'd like to share with our audience today? I would say, um, don't give up hope. Um, I know, you know, it's very hard. It's sometimes heartbreaking, depressing. Um, But, you know, I think of some exceptions, you know, um, those exceptions, you know, during the CCP's iron, uh, you know, the fist, if you will, and then those those companies or individuals or entities not only survived but they thrive Mm -hmm. and i think there's always hope and as long as you keep on fighting um and i want everyone every listener to remember that you can do you can make a difference you can impact the people around you bring them up to speed on what's going on feed them the truth give them another side of the story because they've been listening to one side of the story for too long. Mm-hmm. And I want everyone to rem- yep. yeah, I want everyone to remember that you are a little candle of hope or a little spark of hope and one day we come together and we can rekindle the Americanism. Thank you. June, thank you very much. I just send you Godspeed and um Keep your head up and keep keep swinging. So thank you very much for joining us today, June. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And you've been listening to Business Sense Radio with your host, Edward King. You can contact Edward King through our website, businesssenseradio.com. Be sure to join us again next week at the same time on this very radio station for another edition of Business Sense Radio. was a paid commercial program and the views expressed are those of the speaker and do not reflect the views or opinions of iHeartRadio, its staff or management.